In this episode of Real Estate Untapped, we speak with Jennifer Weiser, who is an associate attorney at Shave Perlowitz Luftig in New York City. And we cover everything from the importance of working with an attorney, especially for out-of-state buyers, to New York being a seller state, to contract due diligence, and to how being in real estate has affected our lives and much, much more. Stay tuned. I would really like to start this podcast by just saying thank you so much to you, Jen, and to like every attorney in the real estate field for all the work that you guys do. I think that people don't appreciate and acknowledge enough like how much work attorneys do. They tend to give a lot of the credit to agents. And of course, like there's a lot of leg, leg work that we have to do, you know, with the showings and with the offers in and the negotiations. But, you know, without having the right attorney in place who understands how much work goes into that and like who communicates with you through every step of the way, these deals wouldn't happen. So thank you. And thank you to your entire team for everything that you guys do. Thank Um, you, Leah. Yeah. And um, I'm so happy that I can have you on here. And you know, there is just so much to discuss, but I figured for, for this podcast, we'd focus in on a couple things. One being, you know, the main differences that we notice when we're working with buyers that are from out of state, a lot of them tend to get confused when it comes to hiring an attorney. And once we get an offer accepted and, you know, we have to start working on getting the deal sheets out, they get a little bit confused and they're like, oh, I didn't know that I have to work with, with an attorney or I didn't even, you know, realize the importance of working with an attorney. So there's so much to say about this. And I kind of want to give you the floor and just let you speak your heart out about <laughs> the differences that, and just the importance that you know from the legal perspective of why it's so important to work with an attorney. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So that is definitely something that comes up. You know, a lot of people, especially if they're used to buying in, in other states or if they're just new to the process, mm-hmm. they're kind of like, why do I need an attorney? Like, attorneys are kind of like, it's, you hire one when you're in trouble, you know, <laughs> not when you're going through something that's positive and exciting, you know, so it's a, it's a little bit different. So people will often ask, you know, why do I need an attorney? But New York is an attorney state. So both sides, the seller and the purchaser will have their own attorney. So this is something that's different in New York. And there's actually in New York, there's a lot of people at the table in general. There's, there's more people that are represented than in other states. Like in other states, sometimes it's one central title company or something that does the whole transaction. But in New York, there's different parties that have seats at the table. So the seller is going to be represented by an attorney. The purchaser is going to be uh, represented by an attorney. The bank is going to be represented by an attorney. If there's a co-op or a condo, they're going to be represented by an attorney. A whole family. (laughs) A whole family. So there's just like, there's a whole, you know, there's, there's plenty of seats at the table. So it, yes, it makes things a little bit more um, complicated and a little bit more in-depth in New York, but that's the way we do it. And in New York, they say that um, we have less litigation, we have less issues after closing mm-hmm. because everyone is so well represented. So yeah, there's a little bit more back and forth that happens, but the result is a balanced 
deal, a balanced contract, because everyone is there kind of like representing the interests of their respective party. So, you know, it's for people that are out of state, they're kind of like, why are there so many people involved? There's right. right? They're like, it's a learning curve. Like, okay, wait, who do I ask to do this? Who's the person I'm supposed to ask? So there's definitely like, there's a time for them to get acclimated to like, who's supposed to do what. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, that's, that's just sort of the way that we do it. And yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's so important, you know, especially when you're purchasing and when the other side, when the seller has, you know, representation, it just, it's even more so a reason why you as a buyer should be working with someone who's going to be digging in and getting dirty and, and finding out about the building, what, what they're lacking, maybe looking into their financials or their reserves. Um, so I'm curious, like when you do get those, um, when you do get that pushback from buyers or even from brokers who are reaching out and they're like, oh, I don't know what to tell um, my clients. Like, how do you usually like reciprocate that? Like, how do you respond to kind of break it down to a buyer of why it's so important to be working with an attorney on their purchase? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think at first I was like insulted. <laughs> I was like, oh, I have to explain to you why my job exists. Yeah. <laughs> right. But like, I totally understand now. It's something that's, um, you know, it sometimes needs explaining because people don't really get it, you know? Yeah. So, but I think what I usually say is there's certain norms and standards that both sides need to, need to have done for them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if you're going into the the market, you could be a very sophisticated person. And often our buyers are sophisticated and they, they're probably per- per- perfectly capable of representing themselves. If they really mm-hmm. wanted to, but they don't do it every day. And they don't know what the normal obligations and representations are that they need to make in the industry. You know, they could push too hard on something and kill the deal. And so right. it's, it's the attorney's job to say, no, normally we don't get that. Or normally you are entitled to this, but not to this. So you need someone to kind of guide you through Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's important too is when you're buying in New York City, you put down a 10% deposit. Right. So 10% of your purchase price is put in an escrow account. A lot of money. It's a lot of money. And yeah. I, I, Leah, we had a client too that was, um, she was used to buying in other states, I think in New Jersey. Right. And, right. And she yeah. was taken aback. She's like, I thought the deposit was going to be like $2,500 or something. Right. Oh, I didn't know she thought it was that low. <laughs> yeah, I think it was something like that. She was like, you know, not expecting to have to like have that money up front on hand, you know, cause it's, right. it's not the norm in a lot of other States. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, we had to explain to her like, no, it's 10% up front. And that is kind of the reason that it is so important to have an attorney because mm-hmm. you need someone to make sure that the contract protects that money and it makes it very clear when you get that money back, who, who can touch that money and when. So right, right. Really, yeah, you're protecting, you know, a big, a big chunk of your savings. Yeah, and I know that, you know, you speak about this a lot. And it's so important for buyers to know that New York is a seller state, right? Like mm-hmm. there are laws put in place to protect the sellers um, when they're transacting. So for those who don't really know what that means, Tell us about that. Like, break it down. What kind of laws are put in place for them that buyers should keep in mind? Absolutely. That's a great question. So this is um, something that buyers also get a little bit um, taken aback by sometimes. But in New York, 
um, the buyers really have a very big responsibility to do their due diligence on their own before buying. So they say, you know, I love this place. It's got the perfect, you know, outdoor space and I love it. And I'm about to actually pull the trigger and buy it. But before they buy it, they have to do a full due diligence on it. They have to make sure that they know what they're buying. They know what the building is like that they're buying into. They do their inspections, make sure there's no defects with the property. And sometimes I have buyers say like, okay, why do I have to do all this? Like the seller is the one I'm paying. Why can't you have the seller just tell me everything they know? You know, like if right. you have a seller knowing that there's, you know, going to be. It doesn't make so much sense because if they want to get the deal done, you know, they're not going to be telling you what's wrong with their property. That's true too. So sometimes, yeah, yeah. Like sellers don't want to be in that position of having to like, oh, I have to just close everything to them. Right. Know, get their deal done. That also depends on the market a bit. It's, you know, how strong is the market? How much is the seller going to want to like bend mm-hmm. and like tell people? Right. But it's um, generally sellers don't have to do much in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, the buyers have to do their full due diligence right up front. And it's actually at the time, it could be a little bit painful, you know, because you have to really go through that work to go through it. But it's actually for a good cause because it's set up like that in order to encourage sales happening in our state, in our city. You know, public policy is they want to make it easy for sellers to sell. So you're going to buy, you're going to do your due diligence, but then when you go to sell, you're going to benefit from this because your buyer is going to have to do their due diligence. And, you know, things are going to work out because you're going to be, um, you're going to be, in a position where you don't have to disclose everything and your buyer's going to have to right. you know, do their due diligence and it's going to be easier for you to sell. So I think in general, it's set up this way because we want to encourage investment and reselling and easy transitions of real estate in our, in our state. So it's right. for a good cause. <laughs> basically. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and just to like backtrack, it's because the homes are usually sold as is, Correct. right? Because, because of that clause in there, that's why it's so important to like work with an attorney and to have the right team. So you're, you're really digging into every single piece of the home and of the building and you're making sure that you're buying. And you're going to be putting a lot of money into your purchase. So you want to know what you're buying. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think it's super important like just for buyers to understand that, that it is a seller state. But again, it comes to benefit you when you're going to be you know, selling in the future and on to your next investment. Um, So yeah, so I know that you also say that everything in the contract is about allocating risk. And I think this is so important. Um, Yeah, I mean, let me just give you the floor again. Like tell tell us about this. Let's let's dig into it. Yeah, so I think, so you get an offer accepted, right? Mm -hmm. You're searching all over the place with Leah. You found a place, put in your offer. Seller came to terms, they accepted your purchase price. And so now it's about getting into contract, getting things in a legally binding format. So everyone's excited. Everyone's like, okay, great. Let's just sign. Let's get it done. We want to, we want to close. We're happy. And then the lawyers have to come in and we have to be the pessimistic bad guys. Negative Nancy's. Right. Because we literally, it's our job to think about what, is everything that could go wrong (laughs) from here to closing everything. And we have to think about all these scenarios and put them in the contract Mm -hmm. and say, if this is going to go wrong, like let's say, you know, the, the apartment burns down before you close, 
there's a clause in the contract. That worst says, case scenario. <laughs> worst case, yeah. Let's start with just the worst case. Um, there's a clause that lays out step by step what happens if the apartment burns down before closing. And it's a seller responsibility. The seller bears that risk of loss, they call it. So we really have to allocate these risks. So really any contract is about allocating risk. And in real estate, there's pretty standard ways that it works. Um, in general, due diligence, let's say that you buy into a building and um, maintenance is $500 a month. You know, that's what you're paying the building a month. Um, if maintenance goes up by $50 or $100, whose risk is that? That's the buyer's risk because they have to do their due diligence. Right. Financing. Buyers, when they get financing, what if the loan doesn't go through? In our market, that is something that buyers usually have a contingency for. So that's the seller's risk. So the buyers have a right to cancel pretty much when their financing doesn't go through. So that's, that's a good thing that shows that it's, it's a market that encourages people to get financing and go forward. But really it's, you know, we're looking at all the situations, what we're going to do. And it's, you know, it's probably impacted my life a little bit because I'm always thinking about all the worst case scenarios. That yeah. I was, I was just thinking that, like, how has that affected your life because that's your job. Like your job is to like to, you know, allocate risk and to also present it in a way that's very, you know, it's still encouraging for the buyer where they don't feel taken aback. Like I know we spoke, we made a, we made a video about this or we spoke about just the importance of like every problem also presenting it with the solution. Um, but how have you seen that affect like your day-to-day life? Yeah. I mean, in general, when people, ask me for advice. I have a very, um, analytical approach, you know, like I think I'm always thinking in, it's like a chess game. Like I'm thinking, okay, if this were to happen and then this were to happen and this were to happen, this is the risk. But if this were to happen, this is the benefit, you know? So it's, it's always like analyzing all the possible risks that could happen, all the good things that could happen. Yeah. Making a decision about what's more important to you at the time. And then so going because that's literally how my brain works. Like right. literally how my brain. I mean, I think I think you know, real estate agents are like in the same boat as you. We're like right. when we're on a showing with the client and we notice something that doesn't look great, or we're in the middle of a negotiation. It's literally like a game of chess. You have to kind of visualize and like project what the next step and what the next outcome is going to be. But I think you know, it's definitely like it definitely makes us way more way more sharp, like even with non real estate related things, like we can like sit down and like more easily project like what our next steps are going to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause you think, okay, well, if I say this, they're going to come back with this and then I'll be able to be in this position. Yeah. You know, so you can always, you always have to think like that in, in any kind of transaction because you know, you have to be prepared for those things that can come up down the road. So like sometimes like my friends are asking me for advice and I'm like just going too crazy with all these situations. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> Let me just do go with my gut. <laughs> this is what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Let's speak about, I guess, the topic that no one really wants to talk about because we're all trying to forget it, but COVID. Yes. <laughs> um, there were a lot of different clauses that were being proposed, you know, back in March, February, even up until like the summer recently, we've had a lot more clauses that were being put into contracts. And now they're like slowly being removed. You know, there's a lot more confidence in the market. Um, but I guess just to do a recap on that, like what, 
what clauses did you see were being used like very frequently back, you know, in the, in the past four or five, six months that aren't being used now? And I guess what clauses are you seeing being used more actively now? Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a great question. So I think in a pre-COVID world, um, there were clauses that were much different than what we're seeing now. Mm-hmm. Um, Pre-COVID, um, buyers generally took more risk on their financing. Um, they they um, got into contract with the contingency, but the contingency was a little bit limited because in some ways buyers had to maintain their financial status. Mm-hmm. So for example, if a purchaser loses their job, they depending on what time in the transaction it is, pre-COVID, they would not be able to cancel under the contingency. So there's an expectation that buyers maintain their jobs until between contract and closing. So that was just standard in New York. It's something that we always explain to our clients to be super careful. Don't lose your job. Don't go buying a Porsche before closing. (laughs) Just keep everything as is. Um, But after COVID, because the market, especially during the past few months, job market, people were getting laid off at first. Things were just a little bit more volatile. So I think it strengthened the financing contingency and it gave buyers kind of more protection in that. So there was a clause that was being used a lot saying that if the financial condition, yes, they have to maintain their financial condition, but if their financial condition changes for something that's really directly related to COVID, we're going to give them, you know, a break. We're going to let them, you know, either cancel the contract or, you know, have some other way to not be at risk for that. Mm-hmm. So I think we've gotten a little bit more protective for buyers, you know, just given that things are a little bit more volatile. Um, but since we're kind of like a few months into COVID now, you know, I think that things have kind of evened out, you know, it's not right. so like people have no idea what to expect. I think a lot of People's um, employers have um, adjusted to the the new normal, right? Mm-hmm. So people aren't yeah. really losing their jobs as much, so we're seeing that kind of protection kind of like on its way out. But it's still there. Sometimes, yeah. So it really depends on the circumstances, but it's definitely something that's on the table being discussed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know there was like a lot more uh, a lot more strict clauses like about just moving in, and we saw this with a client of ours where. They were like super strict about what you can bring in. He literally had to bring his items in like through a backpack, (laughs) like slowly. Um, But that's, I mean, from your, I'm not seeing it, but on your end, is that something that you're seeing that like buildings are being, you know, strict on, I guess, the way that you can move in and the items that you're bringing in? Are you seeing that still or no? Yeah. So that's a great point. So during in March and April, we had this really unique problem of, okay, everyone's ready to close, but the co-op or the condo isn't allowing move-ins because we were all in the shelter-in-place order. Right. So what, are, what, what is the seller allowed to do? Can they force their buyer to close even though they can't move in? Right. Can the purchaser delay? So we saw pretty much across the board that purchasers were allowed to delay um, if there was a shelter-in-place rule not allowing them to move or if the building that they were buying into wasn't allowing move-ins. So people were allowed to delay, but we had a few, you and I had a great client who was like, he was in a bad situation, I think, with his current apartment. He was like in a studio. He wanted to get out. So he was like, the building wasn't permitting move-ins, but he still wanted to move. And he, you know, 
was fine. Even though there was a shelter in place, he was like, I need to close. I'm going to get in. So mm-hmm. he like, he was the best. He like closed and he like snuck in, he like snuck yes. in with a backpack <laughs> into the co-op and he like had the seller leave their couch there, you know, remember? Yeah. Because yeah. Like, couch and they're not gonna yeah. So we had this really great client that was like, you know, in the thick of COVID, um, even though he probably did have a ch- have a right to delay, right. he was able to like sneak his um his stuff in and close. So, but that is something that is being addressed in the contracts. You know, when can a purchaser be forced to close when there's mm-hmm. restrictions on their movement, being able to move in and stuff. So that's something that's being discussed in the contract. Mm-hmm. It, we landed. Are, are you still seeing it now or not really? I am seeing it. Um, it depends. It's, it really depends. On, like you land at different places depending on the attorneys. Mm-hmm. But I think generally the clauses state now that if there's an order that really directly prohibits you from moving, like if, if there's a, it's got to really be directly. It can't just be some kind of like, you know, abstract thing. Like, oh, I don't right. feel moving because of health concerns. It's got to be like there's a law that says you can't move. Or if there's a rule in the building you're moving into that says you're not allowed to move, then mm-hmm. you can delay closing. You can't be forced to close if you're going to be breaking rules, pretty much. Right. Okay. Makes yeah. sense. It very, makes sense. Very reasonable. <laughs> yeah. But we have um, seen we have seen um, people adapt, though, too. Like, on the seller's end, you know, they are – they do understand, like, okay, we, we understand you want to move in, but – you have to adapt a little bit. You have to be available to do maybe a virtual board interview, mm-hmm. right? Or which I think personally is so much better, <laughs> right? I, it's I agree. Of like alleviates the nerves of like having to go in front of a board. That's you know another hot topic that people in New York when they're buying a co-op or even like even when they're starting their search, a lot of people like the first thing they br- they bring up is like, oh, should we even look at co-ops because there's like a board interview and all of that, right? Um, but, you know, boards are not as scary as people think. They're people just like you. And, you know, the, the real reason for a board interview is it's more of a formality. They just want to make sure that you're not like some psycho who's, uh, moving, into their, who's moving into their building. Um, but, yeah, with COVID and all, like being able to do the board interview over Zoom, like, I think that's amazing. Like I haven't had one complaint from any of my clients um, about doing a board interview over Zoom. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think... There have been great things that have come from this, you know, of course, bad times, but um, New York was a little bit um, old school in the way that we did a lot of things in the process. Like the fact that you actually had to travel in and meet with the board before you close, you know, that's, that's like, you know, sounds like it could be for many like years ago, like we're in 2020 now we have technology. So we have, um, we've adapted and things have been modernized a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know on my end, we used to actually, because we were, had to review board minutes, which is the notes that are taken at all the board meetings. And even earlier this year, we used to have to travel to the board's location and meet, read this minute book. Oh my gosh. Such <laughs> in the a 1700s. <laughs> I know. And it was like, like, you can't email it to me. You can't put in a Dropbox link, you know? So it's like, it was something that was just kind of crazy that we were all just accepting. But yeah. now you have people emailing and like secured links. You have just generally the closing process has been streamlined. You know, people are realizing that they can do things by power of attorney or they can do things, you know, not, we don't all have to gather, even though it was lovely right. all gather at the closing, 
we don't really have to, you know, yeah. if you're worried about being in a room with a bunch of people, we don't all have to gather. We can all do things separately. We can, mm-hmm. we can make things easier. So I think, you know, COVID has made us modernize a little bit and trust each other and have the process be a little bit, you know, easier. Yeah. yeah, no, I love it. I think that there's so much, so much more that we could do also. And I think we're going like in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I guess, you know, to close this episode, I was wondering, um, are there any other things that you see on your end? Like any other changes that you foresee are going to happen to the market or even just things that you would like to see happen in the next few months or even the next couple of years to come? You know, I think our market is resilient. I know we all say this, but, you know, we've this is another time that we've all seen it firsthand. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen you know, 9-11 people talk about, they talk about, you know, other times where there have been downturns and everyone thought, oh, New York City real estate. But I mean, we're seeing now people are back in the market. People are like, people are buying, Mm -hmm. like they're taking advantage of really cool opportunities out there. So it's, it's, I'm very optimistic. Things have been, you know, busy lately, you know, so I'm, I'm optimistic that things will keep going. I think that we're seeing more value being added to outdoor space. I think that's an interesting thing. Like most of the deals that I get that are like hot deals, like where it's like, you know, get into contract as soon as possible are deals where you have outdoor space. Right. You know, so we're seeing, we're seeing people kind of value those things more. And I think, you know, apartments that have those kind of access are going to be more hot, you know? Um, but I think you seeing that shift from like Manhattan to, I mean, we're seeing it on our ends, like from the contracts coming in, but are you seeing that shift from, buyers in Manhattan and moving to Brooklyn for that outdoor space for the bigger, you know, a lot of them are like coming from apartments to townhouses, which I think is really exciting. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's interesting is people think that the market is, is slow, but it's actually, it's very like fast and crazy right now because you have, you have people going into bidding wars for that place in Brooklyn with the outdoor space or that place in upstate New York with the pool, like mm -hmm. things are flying off the shelves you know, right. It, right. It just depends where you look. Like depends where you look. Happening. Exactly. And then in Manhattan, you do see that prices came down a, a bit, I think. So you have people going into bidding wars, just trying to take advantage of these great deals that they're seeing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can always tell by the, you know, the amount of pressure I get to get into contract quickly, you know, that's always like that's indicator. That's a good indicator of the market, how much people are calling me every five minutes. Are we in contract yet? Are we in contract? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I am seeing that like still, even if it's, you know, in Manhattan, people are like, this is a great deal. I got like, we need to get into contract as soon as possible. So that, that hustle is still there. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I say this all the time, but I think that, you know, New York in general, I think the market moves in waves and I think people don't realize, I know developers, the very smart and tactical developers, they see that they're able to pinpoint like where we are, where we're probably going to be in the next three to four years. And then, you know, either acquire or sell their assets based on that. But I think that the buyers just, you know, the ones that are either their first time buyers or even PID tear buyers, they don't understand sometimes that New York city literally like moves in waves. And right now, Manhattan, especially Manhattan, we're seeing that price adjustment. We're seeing the adjustment that people had been waiting for since 2016 when the market was so hot and there were like multiple bids going in on one, the very first open house in person. Um, And we're finally seeing that, of course, it's case by case, right? Like we have clients where they're going over ask in Manhattan too, 
but we're finally seeing, you know, that adjustment. And then we're seeing that shift to Brooklyn where Brooklyn is like extremely hot right now. And everyone wants a townhouse or a multifamily. Um, And those, you know, diehard New Yorkers, they're not leaving. Like they're being smart and they're investing like properly yeah. And making the best of it. So I love what you said. New York is so resilient. And this is like the perfect example of it. Right. Um, what we're living through right now. Right. And, um, and yes, I can't wait to do uh, more deals with you, Jed. More yeah, me too. More <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys are the best. I mean, like we, of course, we have to get it to the finish line, but you guys are the ones pounding the pavement and bringing the deals up to all of us and, you know, creating them out of thin air. So it's, you know, you guys are instrumental. You did a great job. It's a team. You you need, you need the whole team to to make it happen. So thank you always for everything. And thank you so much for coming on here and giving us some insight and enlightening us on how important it is to work with an attorney in New York state. And I guess till next time. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Real Estate Untapped. If you'd like to learn more about real estate or have any topics in mind that you'd like to hear spoken about, you can email me at lazizian at lgfairmont.com or you can find me on social media at lazizian. Don't forget to subscribe and I'll speak to you soon.